Happy Halloween, everybody. This is the College Gray Iron Podcast, Wednesday, October 31st. Jimmy, great. first off, wonderful, wonderful music selection to start this Thank show you. off. It wasn't just me. It was, it was me. It was you. It was everybody, but it's Halloween. Yeah, it was Michael Myers. It was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to find. I literally looked up like good Halloween music, and I was like, "What's the one with the?" And I found it. So yeah, I was like, "Okay, good. All is right with the world. All is right." Um, but you know what's not right in the world? It's these. It's this initial college football playoff rankings. The the first edition of the 2018 college football playoff rankings were released last night. They were, and. I gotta say, I was okay to start. The four teams that are in the top four, not surprising. We I know we talked about it on the show last week. The only thing that would surprise us were how they were gonna fall two, three, four. And we all knew Alabama was gonna be number one, but then from two to four, and honestly two to six, it was up for grabs. And I gotta say. The top 25 as a whole is a little weird because it is of how much it contradicts with the AP top 25. But besides that, Alabama, obviously, number one, clear cut best team in the country. Then they have Clemson, number two, which I got, which I know I said last week, I wouldn't be surprised if that's where they fell. But then LSU, three, Notre Dame, four. That's where I kind of have a gripe. LSU, great team, great win over Georgia. Seven and one, Notre Dame, eight and zero, oh, and they currently have a win against another top five team. I I just want to get your thoughts on how you expected this this top four to play out, and then what you thought about it now. So to start, this didn't surprise me. I thought that LSU was going to be three. They like to rank. For some reason, and this is this isn't a uh, a quantitative analysis. They like to rank SEC teams a little higher. It seems like early on in the rankings, like I remember two years ago, Texas A and M was fourth. The year they had Trevor Knight, that was two years ago, and then they got smacked at Alabama, hmm. and then that was the end of that. So I wasn't surprised. I kind of thought this was going to happen, and honestly, I didn't have a problem with. It. I know you did, and it's understandable. I really don't. I just think in my heart of hearts, I think LSU is a better team. Uh, I think short of having a great quarterback. I think both these teams are actually very similar. I think LSU is a little better. Not a lot, obviously, but it's it's a difference of a fraction. I could go either way. I would have actually ranked LSU ahead of Notre Dame. Uh, it's more of an eye test kind of thing because if you're not doing that, if you're going on records or strength of schedule, stuff like that, you probably go with Notre Dame because they're undefeated and, and LSU already lost. But I, I had no issue with that. Michigan 5, Georgia 6, like you said. The rest of the top 10 is pretty incredible, too. I mean, this year is a little bit backwards. But, no, I didn't have a problem with what they did in the top four or what they did probably for maybe the top seven, and then then we start to get into some issues. But I I was pretty okay with what they did at the top. Yeah, I think – at least I think that I had Michigan 5, Georgia 6. I don't exactly remember how you had the the top six playing out, the first two out, but – Let's just quickly run down the rest of the top 10 here. You have Oklahoma at 7. I don't have a problem with that. And then here we get into Bizarro World. Jimmy, if I would have told you in the beginning of the year that the very first college football playoff rankings would have Washington State at number 8 in the country, Kentucky at number 9 in the country, 
both ahead of Ohio State, who rounds out the top ten. Go home, Matt. You're drunk. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it seems like college football is a little drunk this year. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we're, we have the issue where uh, UCF is number 12. They dropped down two spots from their rankings last week, where they actually moved up a spot in the AP, in the AP poll this week. So, like I said, there were no surprises in this initial ranking. We all knew what was going to happen. But to see it play out the way it did, I'm not going to lie, it's a little surprising. It was, and first of all, I'm disappointed they put UCF that low. I really am. Because you can't sit there and say to UCF, go out, play people, schedule well, be impressive, win by a lot, because they've done all those things, pretty much. And now they're at 12. Very disappointed in them for that, especially behind a Florida team that's 6-2. and two, That's that's good, but they're not they're not going to the playoff. They're at most going to a, a fringe New, Year, New Year's Six Bowl. I mean, come on. I, I just think that's really ridiculous, and they've probably put UCF out of any chance to get to the playoff by putting them at 12 because they're going to need insane amounts of havoc in front of them. So they, they're going to need so much help. Yeah, so that that's kind of ridiculous. But <laughs> my new favorite team is Kentucky. Yes. And to see them at nine, I was stunned to see them over Ohio State. I really was. I wasn't, not because I don't think they're good. I think they are very good. I just think, like, you look at last week, they should have lost to Missouri. And Missouri's not a bad team, but they were an untimed down away from losing to Missouri. And they won on the last play of regulation. And then... Wazoo at eight. I mean, granted, game day was there two weeks ago. They beat Oregon at home. They beat Stanford this past week by a field goal. They're good, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't take a one-loss Pac-12 winner this year over Georgia, Michigan. I wouldn't even take that. If Kentucky wins the SEC, I wouldn't take them over Kentucky, so why are you putting them ahead of them? It just To me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because them putting them at eight, I feel like that's setting them up to be leapfrogged by a bunch of these other teams. Like if Ohio State runs the table or Kentucky runs the table, you can't tell me they're going to be ahead of both those teams by the end of the year. And I know that neither one of us are Ohio State sympathizers, but do you no. think do you think the committee did them a little dirty putting them at number ten? Um, I would say no if they weren't behind both of those teams, because I think I think they're ninth or tenth best team in the country. But if you're if you're really gonna talk about, I would have put UCF ahead of them because they're undefeated. But if you're you're gonna talk about Kentucky and Wazoo ahead of Ohio State, really, that doesn't make any sense to me. I, I would have put them at nine or ten. I just don't agree with the order at which they put these teams because I don't think Washington State or Kentucky is better is has had a better year up to this point in terms of ranking them to now. So I I know I I think they did do them a little dirty, but it's more because of of Washington State and Kentucky. And I think. The team that most disappointed me in this past week because I was bullish on them going to be very ranked highly in this initial ranking is Texas. They go out and just, I I don't want to say they laid an egg because they only lost by a field goal, but it's Oklahoma State. You laid an egg. You were were the sixth ranked team in the country last year, and you go out and lose to what is quite frankly a bad Oklahoma State team, and you get thrown all the way down to 17 and your your playoff hope is basically ended, and probably your Big 12 championship aspirations were just ended. Do you mean to say Texas isn't back? Jimmy, <laughs> I want so badly for I Texas did. to be back, and they just 
can't put it together. They're like this close too. They are so close. I mean, I I just don't understand them as a team. No, me neither. And and this was a disappointing loss. Oklahoma State's a tough place to play. So I kind of I don't want to say I saw this coming, but I knew it was probably going to be a close game going in. I didn't think Texas was going to run away from them or anything like that. Oklahoma State just played a little bit better. And I, I wanted to get your thoughts on the end of that game because all our listeners out there probably saw the, the insanity that occurred at the end of that, mainly between Tom Herman and Mike Gundy, which was very strange. And then Mike Gundy, in his usual fashion, gave an awesome press conference afterwards about Twitter, and it was it was very funny. And you could, you could find that on your own if you want, but... The end of that game was uh, was was really something. I mean, I know both teams were frustrated, but man, that was weird. Yeah. So if for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, and I didn't see it happen live, I saw the the video on Twitter myself. So at the end of this uh, Texas Oklahoma State game, Oklahoma State was trying to knee the clock out, and then all of a sudden, someone on Texas comes flying around the corner trying to hit the quarterback. And, of course, as football players are ought to do in a situation like that, it empties the benches. They, players have to be separated at midfield. Tom Herman comes flying into midfield looking like he was ready to tear someone's head off. Mike Gundy kind of just looked like he didn't know what was happening until he started yelling back at Tom Herman and all kinds of nonsense ensues. Mike Gundy's walking back to the sideline trying to hype the crowd up for a game they already won, <laughs> which was didn't make a lot of sense to me. And at at the end of the day, all that equated to was two on sports and like penalties, one on the Texas player and one on Tom Herman. So it just it just shows that they're not ready yet. If they're still doing things like that. They're a year away. Yeah, they're a year away, and they've been a year away, and I think we wanted to convince ourselves after the Oklahoma game that, like, oh, this is the year for Texas. No, it, it wasn't. I mean, could you blame us? No. That's a no, fantastic win. I mean, it, fantastic win. The game was lit, more lit than anything I've ever seen in my life. You got Dicker the kicker hitting a game-winning field goal. I'm just going to say Dicker the kicker every <laughs> week. I just need an excuse to work it in, okay? Um but, yeah, I, I think they're a year away, and I want to get excited about them, too. Because, yeah, it's Texas. They're back. They're a meme, and now they're not a meme anymore. <laughs> and now they're back to being a meme. And they've got a big game this week against yep. West Virginia. they got to win that game to have any chance of winning the Big Ten. I want to check to make sure. They only have one loss in the Big Ten, so their chances would actually be uh, – the Big 12, rather. So their uh, chances at winning the conference would actually be better than most people would probably think. But still, they, they lose this game this weekend. They're – they're kaput. They're done. Yeah, that is a game against West Virginia, and you put it perfectly. I think whoever comes out of that game will have an inside track on playing Oklahoma when it comes time to play in the Big 12 championship Yeah, they're, game. they're all uh, Oklahoma, West Virginia, Texas, all tied at 4-1. and one. Then you've got Iowa State. They're ranked, by the way, at 3-2, and two, and oh. Texas Tech also 3-2. and two. Oh. I don't even want to get into the bottom of these rankings because it's just so weird. I mean, Syracuse is ranked this year for the first time in what seems like forever. Boston College is ranked. Fresno State's ranked. Iowa State's ranked. North Carolina State's still ranked. Virginia football is ranked. <laughs> so, I obviously, the first week of the playoff is always chaotic because they, they're kind of just placing teams where they think they are. And as we're going to get to later, the top of this 
the top four is going to work itself work itself out in some way this weekend. But before we get into that, I think we kind of have to get into what is happening down at the University of Maryland. Um, I know we didn't really talk about it in the beginning of the season when the the fervor was high and people were all over it, but yesterday it was announced that DJ Durkin is going to be returning to the team following the investigation that concluded there was no quote-unquote toxic culture at University of Maryland football. So fast forward a couple hours and another report comes out that uh, the players walked out of the meeting that they were holding with him showing that they don't respect him and he has no control of the locker room. Um, the board of directors said that DJ Durkin was treated unfairly. By who? <laughs> exactly. And the president is stepping down come June. In protest, I've heard. I would assume so. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at something right now, and the McNair family's not thrilled, and uh, Maryland students are going to be protesting his reinstatement. Um, a cluster, one would say, <laughs> this situation. It's an insult to clusters. Yeah. Um, I don't get it. I'm, I'm going to kind of give my thoughts on this, and I'll, I'll let you run with it, because I don't really... Uh, this is a pretty straightforward thing in my mind. Um, as soon as, as soon as it was reported, first off, he should have never been reinstated. He should have just been gone. Um, and then the second the report came out that the players walked out of the meeting with him, he should have been gone. If the players don't respect him, they are not going to play for him. And he has no control of the locker room. It's not like this season's anything special for you guys. I mean, you're a bad team and a tough conference to, to win. And... It just doesn't make sense to bring this negativity back around your program. Obviously, they had that great win over Texas to start the year, just as they did last year. But that's the highlight of your season, and people are kind of fostering this goodwill towards your program again. The whole coming out with five, uh, either five or four linemen to yeah, honor to yeah. honor McNair. Um, that was great. Everyone loved to see it. And the healing process began. And the healing process was still going on until yesterday. When you make this boneheaded decision to to bring DJ Durkin back for no reason. Yeah. I don't get it. I I'm with you. And, you know, to loosely quote Harry Truman, the buck stops over there. And for me, I could see... I understood the Ohio State thing. I didn't agree with the Ohio State thing, but I understood it because Urban Meyer is one of the five best coaches in the country, probably. And DJ Durkin is ten and fifteen. He's really not that good. You can't justify bringing him back because, well, he's a good, he's a good coach. He really isn't, and he hasn't been. And that didn't make any sense to me. And I just think there's this culture where it happened in Maryland, and it's happened at other places where coaches just push their players to the wall. And obviously, Jordan McNair, you know, he passed he passed away over the summer. And obviously, he was pushed to a point where you just couldn't do it anymore. And I'm sure he wasn't the only one. He was just the, the worst victim of it, unfortunately. And you have a case where the Maryland players, the team's actually doing okay this year. They're 5-3. and three. Uh, They beat Texas, like you said, after Jordan McNair. A lot of that, I think, was fueled by Jordan McNair. And... 
obviously his family's going to be mad because why why wouldn't they? And I think you know you did done wrong when the student government's protesting you as a football team. That that shouldn't be happening. I mean, that's just this whole situation at Maryland. I really thought they were going to fire him, and I really thought they were set on doing the right thing. And I like their outgoing president a lot. Wallace Lowe seems like a really good guy, and I was going back and forth with one of my friends at Maryland last night, and he said the same thing. And he basically said, like, Wallace Lowe is actually popular enough to, like, run for office if he wanted to. Like, that's how popular wow, he is. Wow, I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, that's what I heard, too. But, um, yeah, it's it's a mess. It's a mess, and... I really counted on them to do the right thing. I mean, I saw a video. This is tangentially related. I saw a video on Twitter before we came in here. There was this coach threatening to, like, send one of his players back to Haiti because he transferred. It was a basketball college. Bas- uh, it was a basketball coach. Uh, I don't remember where it was, but it was just ridiculous. And, and that's kind of the culture, this macho coach set the tone type of thing. And it just uh, it's got to change. And... Firing DJ Durkin would have gone a long way towards that, and and I'm mad that they didn't. And you know, Jimmy, you bring up a great point there. When you are a college athletic head coach, there are certain things that come with the job, and part of that is the recruiting side of, of the game. And most of the time, these head coaches will visit these families at their homes— they will be invited into the home, have dinner, sit in the family living room to talk to the family and the player about what this coach can do for your son or daughter, and they essentially promise your mom and dad that they're going to take care of you. And when things like this at when something like this at Maryland happens, or that, or your point about the college head coach threatening to have a player deported. Yeah, I heard he's, he's like, I'm going to send your blankety-blank back to Haiti, basically. It's, it just does not look good on college athletics as a whole, and it almost makes you think, why would a family let their son or daughter be a part of something like this? I know, I wouldn't. Absolutely not. If I had a kid who was playing high school and he was good and he was getting recruited, I'd say, you can go anywhere you want, just don't go there. Yeah. Because it's, it's such a mess. It's ridiculous. And it's unfortunate that, that we even have to talk about things like this because no one wants to uh, no one wants to live through it, first and foremost, but no one wants to talk about it either. But it's important that we do, and now we get to move on to fun stuff. And I want to get to the Biggest game and probably the most important game that we're going to talk about all year outside of the playoff games and the championship game. And I, I want to talk about it first to make sure that we can talk about it as much as we want. And we'll get to some other games if we have time, but this one takes precedence. It is the Alabama Crimson Tide visiting the LSU Tigers, 8 p.m. CBS. You know the deal. Um, Jimmy, could you have ever imagined a top three matchup going to one of the most feared and revered college football stadiums in the country and having the visiting team be a 15-point favorite? Not in my lifetime. <laughs> I wasn't around for Nebraska in the 90s, but I imagine it was probably something like that. 
But no. Uh, and this is this is a good LSU team. This is one of the best teams in the country. They earned every bit of being ranked number three. They had one bad loss, and that was it. It's going to be a fun game. Coach O is going to have that place rowdy, even more so than ever. And the environment's going to be nuts. Defenses are going to be flying around. It's going to be lower scoring, I think, than Alabama is used to. This is going to be, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the biggest test for Alabama all season, including including the playoff. Uh, I probably just gave away my pick. But, hmm. um, yeah, I, I really think this LSU team, there's just something about going to Death Valley under the lights that's different than going to other places. I don't know if it's the most raucous environment. I don't know if it's the most intimidating, but there's just something. And when teams go there, you don't get out there with a win easily. And that was even true the last couple years when LSU wasn't as good. So I might be rooting for LSU, quite frankly, because I'm not even maybe rooting for LSU. I'm just rooting for a close game because I want to see Alabama get pushed a little bit. But I think Alabama's got it. I think they're going to win by two scores. I think I don't think they're going to quite cover this spread. I think it's going to be two touchdowns. So, over under is fifty four points. Over under is fifty four. I I'm going to take the under because these games are usually lower scoring. I'm going twenty four ten. I think this Alabama defense is going to show up, uh, and I don't think Joe Burrow is going to be able to make enough plays. So I forget whether it was yesterday or on Monday. I was watching First Take, and they had Ryan Grant on to talk about this game. And he was saying how Alabama has this tendency to intimidate teams and they kind of beat you before they even play you. But Ryan Grant said something that I that I really agree with. He said that the boys on the other side of the field are not going to be scared of you when you come to play them in their house. And that really stuck with me because, like I said, it's Alabama. It's two attack of Iloa. It's Nick Saban. They have this aura around them of everyone knows that they are far and away the best team in college football. They they might even have a chance against a bad NFL team. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? But when you go into an environment like Death Valley and against the team that really wants to stick it to you and prove that they are better than you, it, it does something to the players. It makes them believe they have a chance. And why wouldn't they believe they have a chance? They beat Georgia when they were ranked number two and seemingly unbeatable. So it, it doesn't fill me with this thought that, oh, it, it's a typical Alabama game. Two is not even going to play in the fourth quarter just like all year. No, he's going to have to play in the fourth quarter this year. And I know my whole spiel so far has been talking about LSU and it might – be a letdown for those LSU fans, but Alabama's getting out of here with the win. Yeah. I even think they cover the spread. I probably not by much. It might be, it might be only by 15 or 16 points, but they're getting the win and they're just going to once again, show how much better they are than everyone else. And sure. Tua is going to have to play in the fourth quarter, but we saw how he played in the fourth quarter of the national championship game. And he did was, okay. That was the last fourth quarter this dude's played in si- since. It's ridiculous how good this team is. They, yeah, they're a lot better than everybody else. I will say, though, because this is hypothetical season now that we're entering November, if LSU wins, all hell breaks loose in the rankings. Oh, yeah. All hell. 
I mean, now you got to decide between like Alabama and Notre Dame and all these other teams, and these things usually work themselves out. But if LSU wins, next week's going to be very interesting because I think they have to be at one probably, and then, and then honestly, after that, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a great question because I I I'm with you. If LSU does somehow pull off the unthinkable. They have to move up to number one. They beat number one. They beat the best team in the country. They're, they are now, by proxy, the best team in the country. And then, I don't think anything happens to Clemson. Granted, they win. But then, it, it brings up a, a good point. Do you keep in a one-loss Alabama over an undefeated Notre Dame? Do you bring in a team like Michigan? Granted, they win this weekend over a, a one-loss Alabama. And it's... We love talking hypotheticals here, but it's probably not the time yet because, like we both think, Alabama's not going anywhere. <laughs> no. But another game in the SEC that is going to have major implications for at least the championship game, the Al- the SEC championship game, I almost called it the Alabama championship game. That's how much I believe in them, honestly. Um, Georgia-Kentucky. Who, again, I go back to me talking to you at the beginning of the year, Jimmy. Would you have believed me if I told you that Georgia-Kentucky would be a top-10 matchup? Maybe, actually. I, I liked – no, I didn't like Kentucky that much. <laughs> uh, Georgia, yeah. Georgia, obviously. But uh, Kentucky, no. But this is the biggest Kentucky game in a while. In a while. Probably since one of those LSU games in, like, the early 2000s. And – they found they found a way to lose most of those games. There was one with like an eighty yard hill Mary to Devery Henderson that was that was pretty painful for Kentucky fans. Uh, the spread on this one not that big. It looks like it's only it's only nine points. Nine points. Okay, I, I was about to say six because uh, I can't read. But um, fun fact: we, we didn't turn the lights on in the studio. But <laughs> we probably should have done that. But anyway, uh, yeah, nine points. I think it's gonna be close. It could be one possession. I, I I believe in Kentucky. I just think at home. I don't know. I think Georgia's gonna win. I definitely think Georgia's going to yeah, win. Yeah, I absolutely think. But Georgia's I think it could win. be closer than some people would would believe heading into this week. But make no mistake, uh, Kentucky's legit. I really think Kentucky's legit. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I love Josh Allen at at linebacker for them. I think he's going to be a top ten pick in this year's NFL draft. He reminds me a little bit of Roquan Smith, which is wow. odd to say because of how good Roquan Smith was. But I see a lot of him in Josh Allen and. It's a shame that Roquan Smith fell as far as he did in the draft, but that's kind of just how the the 2018 draft worked out for him. But I don't see that happening this year. I think Josh Allen is a legit middle linebacker who could lead a team for a decade plus. Kentucky, yeah, Kentucky's got a really good defense. I was just looking at some of their numbers. Josh Allen is obviously the best player on that defense, but then if you look around, some of their games this season, they gave up seven to Mississippi State. They gave up, in their last two games, they gave up 7 to Vandy and 14 to Missouri. Missouri's got a really good offense. Drew Locke could be a a top 5 or top 10 QB prospect. He's going to get drafted next year at some point. So this Kentucky defense is legit, and Georgia's been having problems offensively with some people are banging the door for Justin Fields. I still don't get it, but whatever. uh, I I know last week I was very against it, but if they're going to struggle— against Kentucky and they're they're down a score or two in the second half do you make the change I wouldn't but I'm not coaching Georgia yeah, so, yeah but I still think Georgia wins the problem for for Kentucky I think for me is whether or not the offense can score enough points and they almost they had nine points going into the last play against Missouri last week they won 
there, and then they scored 14 against Vandy. So they're really coming off back-to-back clunkers. I don't think they're going to be able to score enough points. But I could see it being within one possession, but it's going to have to be low scoring if Kentucky wins, I think. Yeah, and then I think the uh, the last game that we're going we're gonna to talk about here there's a lot of great games this week. I mean, it's Penn State and Michigan, which is going to be huge for the Big Ten. Um, Florida, Missouri. Missouri might give Florida the same problems they gave Kentucky. Who knows? Um, Notre Dame, Northwestern. That's a trap game if I've ever seen one. I think I think Northwestern's going to win that game. I want to mark down right now. Oh, Jimmy, you're you're breaking my heart. I know. Oh, I don't I don't like to hear Saw things last like week. that. Saw them last week. They looked really good. I know. I know they did, but. The game that we alluded to earlier, the one that will probably decide the the second participant in the Big 12 championship game, is West Virginia-Texas. It is a 13-17 matchup at Texas Memorial Stadium. Jimmy, how do you see this playing out? With West Virginia on top, uh, to, to answer your question. That's the short answer. I think Will Greer is going to have uh, a really good game. West Virginia is a team that's... I want to say they're reeling because they won last week, but that loss to Iowa State was pretty bad two weeks ago. And they're starting to get back into it now. They had a big win against Baylor last week. Baylor's not that good. Texas, on the other hand, obviously they lose to Oklahoma State. A lot of this, I think, is going to depend on quarterback play. I think more so for Texas because I think West Virginia kind of knows what they're getting. But I think Will Greer is just going to play better. And I don't think this Texas defense is really that good right now. And I think West Virginia is going to outrun Texas. I think they wind up winning this game, and I think this is the springboard for them to try to make a last-ditch effort at the playoff. I really I really think that they can – they string a few together here. It's going to get very interesting. Yeah, and you talk about the win over Baylor. I'm looking at West Virginia's last five and Texas's last five, and they actually have two games that overlap. Uh, you mentioned last week West Virginia beat Baylor 58-14. Two weeks ago, Texas beat Baylor 23-17. So a closer game on that end, so maybe – Maybe West Virginia is that much better, or maybe not. And then you look back at the end of September, West Virginia beats Kansas State 35-6. to And again, at the end of September, the very last game of September, Texas beats Kansas State 19-14. to So if we're looking at comparable matchups and teams that they've beaten, West Virginia has been more impressive against the teams that they have both played. Does that mean anything? Maybe not, but could it? Maybe. And I mean, they're both bad teams too. But granted, there is su- there is an element of like if you take care of business, like they destroyed Baylor last week. Yeah. Texas went down to the last play with Baylor. Same thing with Kansas State. So I think there is an element of okay, well we took care of our business against these teams and they almost didn't. So I think. Theory by association, sometimes it does work, sometimes it doesn't. We'll have to see on Saturday. I just think West Virginia's better. I really just think that team top to bottom is where they are right now, I think is where Texas wants to be next year. Yeah. And I think we're going to see that on Saturday where Texas is sort of going to be a a step slow to everything, if you will, sort of cliche. But I I think there's going to be a good amount of points scored. I just think West Virginia's going to outrun them. Yeah, and I see... um... It's a two-point spread right now in favor of Texas, and obviously that could go either way. But I'm going with West Virginia. I think it's it's going to come down to the wire with these two teams, and West Virginia will show that they should be in the conversation up until the very last week of the season and the Big 12 championship game. 
But, folks, that is all we have for today. Thank you very much for coming back to the College Gridiron Podcast. Enjoy your Halloween. Be safe tonight and come back next week.